Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Hello and welcome back to Riverside Online. It's great to have you with us again today. Well, we're fully into the Christmas countdown. Uh, and what I, one of the things I really love about Christmas, I know it sounds silly, but it's the lights. I just love lights. My wife, Keely, has told you probably many times how much I just love lights and things that light up. I was trying to think about when this love of lights started. I think it goes back to when I was younger. My dad was working as an electrician and he used to wire these large control panels that would... Um, would operate boilers on ships and different things. And they were massive cabinets and just full of loads of bits and pieces of, uh, of electronics and electrics. And uh, he would wire these panels over a number of months for a contract. And at the end of the contract, there would be loads of little bits left over. And he'd bring those bits home for me. And there'd be, uh, there'd be little switches and there'd be colour bulbs and there'd be wire. And uh, I set about trying to make something from this, uh, this hoard that my dad brought home. And invariably, it tended towards being some sort of early warning system for my bedroom. So if my two older sisters tried to come in my room, a buzzer would sound or a red light would flash because I'd managed to sneak a a pressure pad under the carpet. And I think that's where my love of lights sort of goes back to. I love lights so much that I even tried once to, uh, I tried to pinch a a, a light from some roadworks, one of those flashing lights. I was determined to make my own flashing lights, so I spotted some roadworks not far from our house, and on top of the cones, I put all those flashing lights to make sure cars didn't run into the roadworks, and I I sort of cycled up surreptitiously on my bike and plucked one of these flashing lights off a cone and pushed it into my rucksack and cycled off with this light sort of flashing away in my rucksack, trying to look as inconspicuous as possible. It was even harder to try and smuggle this thing past my parents who were watching TV because I couldn't find the off switch. So, uh, yeah, lights. Love lights. I had the first lightsaber that came out uh, after Star Wars in 1977. So, yeah, lots of lights in my life. One of the things that's really helped me during this whole period of COVID and lockdown actually has been a set of lights. Um, I bought some garden lights back in March, uh, some simple garden lights. Here's a picture of them, and I... I know the trend is for white lights now, but these are some lovely vintage coloured lights. And I put them on the fence uh, at the top of our garden and I enjoyed them all through uh, the summer. Uh, and now the winter nights are closing in. They're still sort of glowing brightly in the garden. I can put a chair in the window and I can just look at these lights. And I call them my feel-good lights because when I look at them, I kind of, they help me to feel better about life. They help me to sort of stop and reflect. They help me to remember happy times past, they help me to think about happy times that are going to come. They also help me to really just remember that actually it's the simple things in life that bring us the most joy and to give thanks for those things. So these lights have really helped me. They've helped me think about hope, they've helped me think about joy. Some 700 years ago there was a man called Isaiah and God used Isaiah to speak to God's people. He was classed as a prophet. God would inspire him by his spirit to speak messages uh, to the community around him. And, and Isaiah carried two main messages. He carried a message of warning and he carried a message of hope. And the message of warning was directed at the leaders of the city of Jerusalem where he lived. Uh, these religious leaders were supposed to be leading the people with compassion 
and care, keeping their eyes fixed on, on the heart of God and God's love. But they'd strayed from that in many times into idolatry and become hard-hearted and they weren't treating people in the way they should be treated. So Isaiah would often prophesy against them, he'd prophesy a warning of judgment that God was bringing. But also Isaiah prophesied a message of hope. He said these words uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, you can find that book in your Bibles. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And Isaiah was speaking and prophesying of, of a future hope, of a light that would dawn upon the people who are currently struggling in darkness. He said because of the way the leaders had led, because of their abandonment of God's heart, the people in his community were now living in a land of deep darkness. And the words that Isaiah uses here means to live literally in shadow, to live in shadow. If you're like me, you hate it when maybe you're on the beach or in the garden on a lovely sunny day and you're enjoying the sunshine and suddenly it goes cold and it goes dark and you look up and you see a cloud has come across the sun and blocked the warmth and light from the sun. And you, you wish that cloud away. You look around and you think, well, why is that cloud in the rest of a clear sky blocking the sun and the warmth over me? And you wait patiently for that cloud to move on. You know, it seems to creep immeasurably slowly across the face of the sun. And then it, the sun breaks the edge of the cloud and the warmth and the light begins to return. And suddenly the cloud moves away and the warmth and the light return. A shadow on the beach or in the garden on a sunny day is a minor frustration. But we've all been living under a much bigger cloud, a bigger shadow. And that's been the shadow of COVID uh, over the past sort of eight or nine months in our lives. Back in March, this, this dark cloud came over our nation and over the face of the whole earth. And it cast us into this deep shadow that we've all lived under and experienced and we found that shadow has touched every part of our lives. It's touched uh, the way we, we socialise, the way we relate to our families, the way we work, the way we try and go about. Even the simplest things like shopping have been affected by this shadow of COVID. We've experienced social isolation. We've experienced anxiety. We've experienced fear. And we've even experienced death. The words deep darkness that Isaiah uses when he speaks these words actually mean to live in the shade of death. And, it's a, it's a, and that's what we've experienced to some degree with, with, with this virus. We've lived in the, in the shadow, in the shade of death. The fear that the, the virus might come and take loved ones away. It might touch friends and family. And there are people who have suffered tragic loss of relatives during this time. Or they've had friends and family touched by COVID and they're still struggling to recover from the effects of the virus long term. So this shadow has affected us all. It's affected our, us physically, it's affected us emotionally, it's affected us spiritually. And it's been, there's been an impact across every sector of society, on finances and jobs. It's really, that shadow has been a deep shadow over the nation and over the land at this time. And it's also affected our ability to worship, to gather as Jesus communities and come and bring our worship to God. And it's hindered our ability to do that and to interact and to, and to love and encourage each other in the ways that we're used to. So we're a people 
living in shadow. And for some of us, we're struggling to remember what it was like when it was light. When I think of shadows, I, I take comfort from one thing. I know that actually a shadow means there's just a temporary obstruction. The light hasn't gone out. The light is still shining. I was fascinated when I first learned, as a, as a, as a, I can't remember, as a, a youngster, that the sun didn't turn off at night. The sun didn't turn off and turn back on in the morning. You know, I learned that actually the earth rotates away from the sun, just like someone turning over in bed to, to avoid looking at a, a bright bedside lamp. The, the earth turns away from the sun and goes into darkness, but the sun doesn't stop shining. Half the, half the earth is in, in shade and half the earth is in sun all the time. The sun doesn't stop shining. And the morning, the sun doesn't rise, we just turn back to the sun. The sun hasn't gone away. The sun doesn't rise, we just rotate back towards it and we encounter the warmth and light of the sun that has never stopped shining. And even on a, on a cloudy day at an airport, you think, where is the sun? And then you get in a plane and that plane climbs to the cloud layer and suddenly there's the sun again, blazing in the sky. The sun hasn't stopped shining, it's just been obscured by the cloud. And so to survive in the shade, we need to remember that the sun is still shining. The sun hasn't gone out. Isaiah went on in this passage to say that people not only live in darkness, they also walk in darkness. It's really hard to navigate, isn't it, when it gets dark? I remember going to the Peak Cavern in Derbyshire on a school trip. It's a huge cavern in the side of a hillside, a big cave, and, they, and the guides lead you in, and you, you go deeper and deeper into the hillside through these narrowing tunnels. And eventually you come out into this huge kind of vaulted space, a massive underground cave, high ceiling and, and rocks and boulders everywhere. And I remember the guy getting us all together in the middle of this space and kind of huddling us together. And then he turned off his lamp. And I've never been in such utter darkness before. It was utterly, utterly dark. There was no light anywhere. I put my hand an inch from my face to try and see something. I could see nothing. We were in total, total darkness. And with the light still turned off, the guide began to tell this eerie tale that up in the roof of this cave was a hole. And that hole went right through to the top of the hillside. And uh, it, they used to get, get prisoners and drop them through this hole into the cave. And if the person survived the fall, then they would be in this inexorable darkness. They would be trapped in this darkness. And they would never be, be able to find their way out of the cave, even though the entrance was only a few hundred yards away from where they would have fallen. They would have been trapped, trying to navigate in darkness. It's really hard, isn't it, when we lose our bearings to navigate, to make progress. To try and walk in darkness is really, really difficult. We can't see our normal points of reference. We can't make the normal speed that we used to be able to when it was light. We struggle to make any kind of real headway. And things that looked normal in the normal light suddenly get distorted by the darkness. And we've all been living and walking in darkness to some degree with COVID over these past few months. We've all struggled to make progress, to feel like we can make headway when we've lost our points of reference. The things that we found incredibly easy to do and to navigate before COVID, we're now stumbling around, unable to make headway. And we find those things incredibly hard. Even something as, something as simple as 
booking a time to see friends or family or booking a mini holiday or even planning to do something the next weekend can be snatched away because of the effects of this virus upon our nation. And it feels like we're stumbling around in the dark, we're banging our knees and we're scuffing our hands as we trip over things that normally we'd have no problems navigating. The one thing we need to do when, we, when we're walking in darkness is not try and pretend that it's light. That's the worst thing we can do. When we're walking in darkness, we have to adjust our pace. We have to adjust our expectations. We have to slow down and feel our way in order to stay safe and make at least some headway. And sometimes we just have to stop and we have to wait for the light to return. In some terrain, you would never, you would never decide to travel at night. You would stop and wait for the light to return before making headway. And I think we've all felt the strain of this walking in darkness. We've all got the bumps and the bruises uh, of trying to make headway, of trying to make progress. And particularly if you've got any form of leadership or responsibility in your life with your role or your job, or even at home, you know, it's compounded uh, a feeling of ineffectiveness that we can't do the things we can normally do. And we struggle with, we struggle with feeling like we're impotent and we can't make progress. We, can't, we just can't see what's coming up. We just can't see what's ahead because we're a people who are living in the shade, living and trying to walk in darkness. And it's like we were back in that cave where I was and we, sometimes you can't even see your hand in front of your face when normally you're used to seeing as far as the horizon. If we pretend it's light when it's dark, we can get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. When I was back... In my early 20s, I was driving my car to meet some friends on a bonfire night in Birmingham. And it was some of the thickest fog I'd ever encountered. But I had my trusty Mini Metro, and I was making good progress. And I was sure that I was a good driver, and I could make good progress safely. And I found myself stuck behind a white transit van. And this, this van driver was winding me up because he was creeping through the fog. And I thought, far too slow, far too slow. And I was determined I could make faster progress than him. So when we came to a set of traffic lights, I pulled alongside him. And I was revving the engine, my one litre metro, all the power of that engine under the bonnet there, waiting to sprint off the lights. And he was looking down at me, kind of puzzled. And as the lights changed, I sort of zipped away from the lights into this pea soup of a fog, not being able to see more than maybe 20 feet, 15 feet at the most in front of my car. And I put my foot down, I had to gather speed. I was doing 25 maybe. I thought, this is a good little safe speed to be doing driving in fog. And the guy in the transit van kind of looked at me in an increasingly more sort of worried and puzzled, puzzled look as he looked out of his right window at me overtaking him on the right. And uh, I looked back at the road ahead and suddenly the road ahead stopped. It just ended in a curb. And I slammed the brakes on and I hit this curb and my little metro took off and landed on the central reservation of this dual carriageway in a pile of rose bushes. What I thought was the outside lane of a dual carriageway was a turning right lane that abruptly went 90 degrees to the right. And there I was sitting in the rose bushes with four flat tyres, four dented wheels, facing the humility of thinking I could drive well in fog when actually I'd just driven into a dead end and put my car into a rose bush. And this is to say the van driver drove off with a slight smile on his face and I faced the humility of phoning my dad and saying, can you come and rescue me because I've parked my car in a garden in the fog. The worst thing we can try and do when it's foggy, when it's dark, when we're walking in darkness, is try and pretend we can run ahead 
and make the same progress that we could when it was light. I've driven past that road many times since, and I sort of have a wry smile because the road layout is so plain to see in the light. But in the darkness and in the fog, everything looked different. I completely lost my bearings. I thought I was in the outside lane of your carriageway when I was one lane over in a turning right lane that abruptly finished and put me in a garden. I think when we're walking in darkness, we need to adjust our pace, adjust our expectation and be okay with that. I was, I was racing to meet friends. I was racing to get there. I never got there. I never got to meet those friends. I never got to enjoy that bonfire night celebration, albeit a foggy one, because I had to wait for a tow truck and sort my car out and just face the humility of this silly accident that I'd done without really paying the proper care and attention. At the moment, we're all walking in darkness to some degree. We need to adjust our expectation, adjust our pace to be safe and secure in moving forward. I know we don't feel as productive, maybe. We don't feel as useful even. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we face this Groundhog Day. Uh, but actually, we just need to wait because the light is coming. The light will return. We will be able to navigate again uh, in the way that we used to. After we're speaking about so much darkness, Isaiah goes on to say this. He brings these words of hope. He says, a great light has dawned. And he's speaking and prophesying of a future time when illumination would return to the people of Israel. Even though at the moment they lived in shadow, there'd be a time in the future when a light would come. It'd be a great light. It'd be an unmissable light that would dawn upon them as people. It would illuminate their lives once again. And this light that Jesus is referring to was the person of Jesus Christ. He goes on to describe Jesus in this way. He says, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus is the light that will come into the world. And remember Isaiah wrote this some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He was looking ahead inspired by the Spirit of God, speaking of a time when Jesus would come into the world. God would come in human form, Emmanuel, God with us, in human form and bring his light and love into the world. And as Jesus grew from a baby, his influence and his light spread and he began to show how people could be reconciled back to God's love. He began to teach and model a new way to relate to God and a new way to relate to each other. And then he left his spirit to fill us and empower us to live lives of light. This Christmas we're living under the shadow of COVID, that we can't escape that. That's just the way it's going to be. But Jesus' light still shines. Jesus' light has dawned upon us. You might feel at the moment like you're in shadow, that you can't see that light of Christ. That, that, that the shadow of COVID is, is obscuring God's love and God's light from you. But I can assure you today that God's light is still shining. COVID has not put out that light. Nothing can put out the light of Jesus Christ. You know, lights are most effective when it's really dark. And I think at this time, Jesus is burning brighter than ever through the way uh, the church is demonstrating God's love to communities, through the way people are coming together the way people are opening their hearts to Christ, the way people are seeking 
faith. They're, they're looking at their lives and thinking there must be more than this. There's an opportunity here for Jesus' light to shine brighter than ever. This week we've had fantastic news, haven't we, that the first vaccine has been approved for release. And I think that this coming week they'll begin to roll that vaccine out to those most vulnerable and we'll begin to see a vaccination programme take place across our nation. And that's, that's a sign that the shadow of COVID is lifting, is moving away. We want to be thankful for that. But we're also thankful that Jesus' light is shining, is shining brightly at this time in the darkness. The church has such an incredibly powerful witness at this time. The light of Jesus is shining through us and touching many people. I don't know what sort of lights you're going to be putting up this Christmas, but I want to encourage you, as you do, to remember that those lights on those trees first started out to remind people that Jesus came into the world as light. Back in the 1800s and 1900s, candles became bulbs and we used to light trees to remind ourselves that Jesus is the light of the world. So as you put those lights up and as you stand back and admire them and reflect upon them, I want to encourage you to take moments over Christmas to do what I've been doing, to to get some feel-good factor from those lights, to to be kind to yourself, to take time to stop and reflect and just just re-energise. I talked to a friend of mine about these feel-good lights that I've been looking at. He said, you've been practising compassionate mindfulness. And I was like, what's that about? He said, well, basically it's just taking time to stop and be kind to yourself. And sometimes it's, it's hard for us to do that. We're okay being kind to other people, but we struggle to be kind to ourselves. And so I want to encourage you over this Christmas period, as you look at your lights, just stop and remember the light of Christ. Let yourself off the hook. Let God energise you and replenish you. Let him come and bind up where you've got bruised knees from trying to navigate in the darkness. Let him take away the anxiety and the stress. Let him come and replenish you and heal, heal you. You may have had a really frustrating year. You may have felt this, this living in shadow has been really difficult, the productivity or to feel meaningful or even feel like you've got a value. I want to encourage you, be kind to yourself. Take time to, to think and reflect and enjoy and, and give thanks and let Jesus fill you again. And if you're on a faith journey, you can do the same thing. Those lights on your tree, those lights on your house, they can remind you that Jesus is the light of the world. He came into this world some 2,000 years ago as a baby and grew up into an incredible man who who showed us how to connect back with the heart of the Father. He's the light of the world and and he can can refresh and renew your soul this year. So bring him all your hurts and your anxieties and your fears and your frustrations. And in the midst of the busyness of Christmas, just try and stop and take time and let him restore your soul. Allow his light to illuminate your emotions, to illuminate your mind, to remind you of who he is and who you are in him. And just take time to stop and be kind to yourselves. His light is still shining. And there have been shadows, but those shadows are pulling away and the light will come back. And I think it will burn brighter than it's ever, ever burned before. Isaiah said, Jesus' light is immeasurable. It's, it's the biggest light. It's the greatest light. And I think we're going to face a season when Jesus' light burns so brightly in the future. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you. You are the light of the world. We thank you that you shine over us today. And God, even if, we, if we're living in shadow, or we feel like we're walking in darkness, God, we just know that your light is still shining. God, would you help us to connect with your light again? Would you help us to stop and reflect and be kind to ourselves, God? Allow us to, to, to love ourselves so we can love others. You said love your neighbour as yourself. And God, allow us to be kind to ourselves this Christmas and allow your life and your love to restore us. God, whatever's happening in this nation, God, we want to live under your light and we want to be people of light. So that we'll come by your spirit and renew us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.